0: This is the book of Joe, my book. Let's go deep inside where the People stop deep reading the, the Bible. Let's open up Exodus 20, all the Exodus 28-11. They don't it's understand perfect. it. Glory to God, there are so many promises in this book. We got to get back to telling the truth. John sixteen I'm told you to sing so that you may have peace. Nah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> you can't hand down your faith. You gotta get your own. But people just need to see it from a different perspective. God really is good all the time. Remember the light. God says, if he loves me, keep my commandments. I first ask myself, who's speaking? Did you read you? And then everything sounds different from there. But God does not, not lie. I'm Jo, and this is what I found in the Bible. Okay, okay. Welcome back, you guys. Welcome back uh, to the Book of Joe podcast. I am your girl, Joe. and um, this is what I found in the Bible this week. Now, I'm going to tell you guys, I know when you guys probably saw the title, you were like, what is she on? Um, and then we're going to get into it, and I hope that I'm able to have your ears Um, because I do believe that this is a message that I wanted me to give to you. You guys know, I try very hard to only come on here when there's something that I feel the spirit of the Lord has placed on my heart to share. And outside of that, I just keep my mouth closed because not all of us are called to actively share all the time. But ironically, I did a post last week. And I am back this week, and sometimes it's like that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is just on a roll with me, right? So if you click this, then you already know the title of this is I Am Not Your Christian. And um, I want you guys to know that this may challenge some of you in a way that you're not comfortable But I do want you to know that I I consider you in love. And because I've done that, I've done the research necessary to have this conversation with you in hopes that we can have clarity at the end of it and then you're able to make a clear decision. I'm not necessarily trying to make you do anything. Just remind you of what is God's and what is Caesar's. Okay, we'll get into that in a second. But I want to give you a little backstory. I am here today um, on a video vlog for the book of joe which you can find on youtube.com slash the black love smiths um and if you would like to just listen to this instead of listening i mean instead of watching it back if you have to go somewhere you're more than welcome to listen to the, the podcast audio of it by going to uh book of joe on either, I believe I'm on Apple Podcasts, I know I'm on Spotify, and you can also find me on anchor.fm slash Book of Joe. okay? So, I want to give you guys a little bit of backstory. I watched a few episodes of The Story of God with the actor Morgan Freeman yesterday, and it's the History Channel's docu-series on faith, and um, there were a few things mentioned in that docu-series that... Um, <laughs> that made my ears perk up. And one of them was being the mention of the Emperor Constantine as the first Roman em- emperor to claim Christianity. And specifically how this truth was mentioned after they casually suggested that the gospels depiction of Pontius Pilate, who's the man who sentenced Jesus, um, that his, their depiction of him is rather sweet in comparison to who that man really was. And as with all things, we ask why, why, why would anyone want to make Pilate seem more compassionate than what he really is? And the reason was given that doing so helped to assuage some of that guilt off of the Romans um, for the actual death of Jesus, allowing a better conversion rate, something that would prove to be highly beneficial politically as the uh, faith in Christianity would help to soothe the poor as well and that gave them hope and hope makes people deter from rebellion so that had like a lot of political play also the conversion to christianity for the upper class would also prove beneficial to constantine um because uh the upper class obviously they had the wealth of the nation and so constantine capitalized off this new wave and this new concept of what Yehoshua left behind. Now you are going to hear me personally uh, refer to Jesus, Yeshua, and Yehoshua Um, during this podcast. I have chosen recently to stop calling him Yeshua and go to Yehoshua um, after choosing a little further back to stop calling him Jesus and call him Yeshua. As I said before, a lot of times I'm just growing and I found out during this study That Yeshua is actually a Roman interpretation of his real name, which is Yehoshua. And Yehoshua is the Hebrew common name for Joshua. And and so that was really his name. So that's that's where I'm going to go with that. I'm going to call him his Hebrew name because that's what's comfortable for me. So um, I am not above reproach, right, guys? I'm going to change things as I find them out. And I'm going to come to you guys in truth and in spirit so that we are learning together according to what god wants to have so that is who i'm talking about when i say Yehoshua. i'm talking about the man you might identify as jesus um or yeshua okay so um what what's happening is, is with christianity budding it was like similar to what people do when there's new technology emerging in the in the world they seem to certain people, some people, they educate themselves on it and then they put themselves at the front of it, at the helm of it, um, because its newness um, makes them a part of its developmental process and that gives them opportunities to lead in that new wave. Right. We see that a lot with the cryptocurrency marketing and things like that. A lot of people are coming into a lot of knowledge for it so that they can lead a population of people into that wave of technology. Um, It's kind of like investing in stock early. So that's kind of what Constantine did with Christianity. Um, And we all know that leadership is power and power is the desire of all rulers on Earth. Um, and at the time of Constantine, the Christian population, though it was only 10%, it was growing rapidly. And Constantine was a very smart man. He was, he was well known to be a war strategist. And so he took the intellectual look at the trajectory of, of Christianity's growth. And he decided, you know what, this is going somewhere. I want to be on that boat. And so he essentially, um, he, 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 took it up as the second half of what his power would encompass because he was already a very skilled, um, warlord. Like he, he did well in war. And so he was able to establish Constantinople, but he knew that there were two powers, two great powers in every land. And it's something that we should know too. In every land, there's a political power, which he knew he could secure easily by conquering things, going to war, his conquest. He he knew that. He had that in the bag. And there's also spiritual power in every land. And um, that's administered by religion. These are not new concepts. This is something that has started from the beginning of time, where back in the beginning of time, the kings were the only ones that really got to be king or got to take on power were those people who were considered to have Um, God's approval so most of the kings in the earlier times of civilization were actually priests so Constantine being smart and everyone else knowing as well if you had some association with God and you had political power you were double powerful and so that's what Constantine wanted so he chose the underdog belief of Christianity amongst the many uh, polytheistic uh, religions um, and after he had conquered much of the Roman empire for himself. And he probably did this most likely for the shock value of it and the publicity that it would cause the word of mouth spreading that it would raise his name to be. He knew it was different and it was sure to get the people talking. And, um, so it was bound to increase his power. It was a chess move. And with this chess move, he, um, established a council called the, the ecune, the ecumenical council of nicea i believe it's nicea it's n i c a e a and he did this after offering some very high incentives to uh those who were in politics who claimed to be christian so like christian bishops for example were afforded the privilege of judges in some court cases and they could use public posting um uh, systems to travel in like style, right? So these incentives were were big um in that time frame and it it made a lot of the political leaders convert um quickly so that they can take advantage of these incentives. Um so this council also that he created took on like highly debated issues in religion. Um they there was a religious belief called Arianism. Um, that believed that Yehoshua um, was a subordinate being to God. And so this council decided that they're going to denounce this belief as heresy. And it's important to know that heresy, both in biblical times and in the time of Constantine, was a crime. And it was such a big deal. um, Even since before the time of Yehoshua's murder. So Constantine's council created the Nicene, N-I-C-E-N-E, Nicene Creed as well. And this was essentially like a summary, a documented summary of the Christian faith on the whole. And it established Easter as we know it, which we also know is a holiday mixed in paganism celebrations for fertility. If you did not know that, then now you know. Um, and it basically... Um, also, in this creed, restated all the canon law, all the law that was going to be acceptable according to who was ruling, which was the Romans at the time. And it formed also the rules for establishing church organizations. Canon is really related to the concept of true and false doctrines. For example, the book of Enoch was considered a false doctrine by this time, and so it was cast out of the Bible. But all of the books of the Bible were considered canon and accepted. And so that's what we have as our Bible today. But only what political rulers accepted as true were considered canon and authentic writings from God. So that's important to also understand that these rulers had the power to shape the the manual of our belief systems, right? Um, but God, God is so good that you can still grasp so much of what his intent was through the Holy Spirit leading you through that book, okay? Because I still didn't turn away from the book after finding this out. I still have the book to support the truths that I'll share with you today as well. So Constantine forming this council put him in a super powerful seat is basically what I'm saying. And that allowed for him to rule as a ruthless military political figure of Rome. And he also became a shaper of Christianity and the doctrines that were released from it. And those doctrines were what was used to teach the people he ruled over. And so the ability to wield those two fists of fear, one in politics and one in spirituality or religion, is something that causes many people to question Christianity today. And I understand that, that the people who are like, I'm straight off of that. There was tampering with the Bible. I don't want any parts of Christianity. Um, I get where they're coming from in the sense that they're not stupid. Constantine was a manipulator and an opportunist. And Christianity is the byproduct of his manipulation. In essence, Christianity is the union of church and state with all the compromises that were necessary to make that marriage work well and it is the establishment of Rome, Greece, and Judea becoming one under one head to the detriment of the Hebrew people. Now God's chosen people are Hebrews, so yes you have a right to hesitate on Christianity on the whole for those people who are having a hard time with it. I understand you. I don't think you're wrong for not wanting to be a christian however christianity is not hebrew it is not hebrew okay and in fact it is a carbon copy or a bootleg of the original divine creed or credo between the most high god and his nomadic chosen remnant okay Now, I know remnant is very popular right now, just like, you know, back in the 90s, you had uh, greater was the popular word and it was greater faith this or greater temple of that and greater this. And then it went on to like first, first Baptist this or first church of this and and so on and so forth. And now remnant is everywhere. But let's not let the redundancy of the word take away the power of the word. Okay, words have power. And so we need to watch our mouths. And by saying that, I want to declare right now and today that I am not your Christian. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that right now somebody is feeling and seeing what you have for them. God, I pray right now that you are able to go into their spirit right now and have them ease whatever tension is boiling up. Let them be able to hear the message that you're trying to deliver to them. Let them be able to break the yoke and the chain off of them of this of this roman catholic union and be able to stand as a chosen uh person of your glory of your god of your of your promises and of who you are god i pray that people see you and not me. I pray that they understand your heart and that we both love them very much so much so that they, we would have them have the truth that they would be able to make an honest decision for themselves. God, I just pray that you have your way. I am so um, blessed to be chosen to give this message. I pray that I deliver it the way you intended exactly how you would have it go. And I pray that the people who needed to hear it most are able to hear it and receive it and make the teshuva that they need to make in order to create the type of atmosphere that you can work in consistently in their lives to bring them to the plans of prosperity that you have for them. And these things I pray in the name of your son, the only son of God, Yehoshua. Amen. All right. So I know some people are going to be really angry with me about this before I even get started. So much of who we are is based on what we call ourselves and I understand that. Um, people come up with their own definitions of what it means to be Christian and the definitions are well thought out. You guys know that some, some Christians they have like these beautiful, florid, descriptive definitions of their faith, they have um, made the word like a badge of honor, like a crown on their head. So, um, to hear me say that I find the word to be slanderous and offensive for me, I doubt will resonate with them that much, okay? But hear me out because I'm I promise you, God is not looking for Christians, God called the Hebrews, and the word. Christ is Greek. is derived from the Greek Christos or the Latin Christus, or the old language language used in Britannica or Britannia, sorry where Constantine was, um, was a conqueror as Christ or Christ. All right? So we, the Hebrew, we don't have any association with that hard K sound in that way for this word or this depiction of this person. Um, Though the Greek, Roman, and European powers have told us that the name is the same as our word Messiah, the Aramaic word Mashiach and the Hebrew Mashiach um, or Mashiach, um, that means anointed or the anointed one. And I would give a pass to the Greek and Latin if they simply just didn't have a word that was close to our Hebraic term, but they actually do. In Latin and Greek, the term is messias, which makes me ask if you had a word that was close to his word for himself, why are we using your word for him? Um, And what does this har word really mean? and since words have power, you know, what does it mean? And I'm going to tell you guys, I don't know. Sorry. The only thing I got from the etymology of the word is that it is considered to be what they call Proto-Indo-European. And that means um, that it's derived from the original uh, unwritten language of Europeans. And uh, they take it from a root word that's spelled G-H-R-E-I, which is pronounced grey. And it means to rub and to um and from that they say it's synonymous with the term hebrews used for anoint and um this proto-indo-european root is said to be the father of words like christ or chrism and chrism is a sacred ointment um christmas and christian now i don't speak these languages so i just resort to my research and this is what i found um the definition of rub is that it's a verb. It's to move one's hands or a cloth repeatedly back and forth on a surface of something with firm pressure. Okay. Anoint is to smear with oil, um, typically as a part of relig- religious ceremony. And chrism is a mixture of oil and balsam and it's consecrated and it's used for anointing at baptism and other rites for Catholic Orthodox and Anglican churches. Uh, we can see how the translation came to be by understanding these things, right? Sticking to the term Messiah, which translates to the anointed, um, which means smeared and rubbed with oil. Um, we can see how it went to the word gray, which is to rub, and the word chrism, which is an oil used to rub, and then finally becoming the word Christ. Um, so it works in a diluted, wrong way i long, long winded way, um, I guess. But see, God has chosen the Hebrews whose language was established divinely and accepted divinely for how we are to associate or associate with Yehoshua, Mashiach. All right. And so do you know what a Mashiach is in Hebrew? Um, Mashiach is a king it's a high priest and it's usually someone who has been anointed with oil for his position Ha-mashiach, all right puts the 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 capital the in front of anointed so or anointed king so it indicates that yehoshua is not just an anointed king but he is the king that was anointed okay so in essence there's a difference from being given a hat and being crowned, right? And if words have power, I just feel like, you know, we need to keep the words that are powerful. But you see, it's in the subtlety that the enemy likes to weave a lot of his webs. This associated carbon copy version of the majestic original title that, um, that your should have is not the same sandwich. It's not the authentic item. You got to pay close attention to the purse, y'all, because the leather looks the same, but the money is in the touch of it, the stitching, the craftsmanship. So your Canal Street Louis Vuitton is, is just not going to have the same longevity as a real one. So let's go high end with our faith, shall we? I mean, if it matters to you, you know? So earlier I gave little tips on how Constantine, the first Christian ruler, was able to blend church and state for power. Please understand this power move is the foundation of the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church. Before Constantine died, he had prolonged his baptism until he was close to death. While claiming this Christianity thing the whole way, All right, he waited to do what was demanded of every true Yehoshawin, and what is solid in the Hebrew law, because he wasn't done sinning, all right? He wasn't Hebrew. So he didn't have the reverence for the wrath of God that the Hebrews did, who witnessed what happens when they're disobedient. And he only saw the benefits of God's love for himself. So he wanted the, he wanted the baptism to wash the majority of his life's transgressions away And since he wasn't done sinning, he waited so close to the end to get that done. So this is like clever manipulation of the mercy of God. And it went on trend from there. All right. And that type of behavior is very Christian. All right. So there were many Christians who claimed they were part of the winner's circle to reap the political benefits of Constantine during that time. But they kept their dirt piling up in their life so that God could absolve them at, uh, of the sum of their dirt at the end of their life. Rather than turning away from the sin as best they could altogether at the time that they claimed to be followers of who they deem to be Christ. Who they associate with who we call Yehoshua. All right. Now, does this sound like a commitment to Yehoshua to you? Like a real one? Not at all. But it does sound like a whole lot of people labeled hypocrites who have stifled many from coming to the true essence of the way, the truth, and the life, all right? Now, if this offends you, then maybe you want to check your sin box, but it's not meant to offend those who genuinely want to serve God. It's meant to free you from calling yourself a thing that's meant to bind you, okay? it sounds like this 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 way of living sounds like the person you know who got saved and is still has yet to be baptized to this day while they sin recklessly and they throw it all on their salvation journey god's not done with me yet kind of thing all right and so let me just clear this up for for those people really quickly um i said it in the last podcast but it doesn't mean that y'all heard me. So I just want to tell y'all again, your salvation is not an auto key to heaven. Y'all need to know that. All right. Don't let these churches fool you. Okay. Cause verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's John three, three, except a man be born of water and this capital spirit. Okay, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's John 3, 5. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of capital spirit is spirit. That is John 3, 6. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye, meaning y'all, must be born again. That is John 3, 7. He's talking to a minister of the church of Judea at this very moment when he says these words. He is speaking to Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin. Don't play with me about what. Uh, a a pastor or a bishop said when you got up from the altar that morning profession that Yehoshua was your Lord and Savior. That doesn't mean that you are going to see the kingdom of God. That does not mean that you are going to heaven no matter what they said because we are not impressed. The devils of this world, I have to tell you, they believe that Yehoshua is the son of God who died for the transgressions of this world too. And you know why? Because our Bible says And there was in in their synagogue, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let alone what have we to do with thee? All the spirits in him are multiplied and talking in the we form. Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art the Holy one of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. That's starting at Mark one verse 24. So the demons were in the synagogue, the synagogue y'all, the demons were in the temple and they know exactly who our boy was. And they believed in him just as so many of us claim to. And all the same, they made their way to church too. boo. So yes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is true. Let's skip from John 3.16 to John 3.18 for the point though. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this con- this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, come to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God, meaning they are made in God's way. So don't bank your profession of belief into your way into heaven, because all believers are going to live forever. But where will they dwell is what we're trying to figure out. Will they dwell in the light or will they dwell in the darkness? Those that don't believe are not even a part of this conversation. That's what it says. They condemned already. All right. 18 says they're already condemned and judged. All your profession does is get you a right to a fair trial, my love. All right. It puts you on the stand for the, the defense of your eternity. And because... To be condemned is to be judged. 19 is clear that the alleged crime that you will be accused of is that you love the darkness more than you love the lights that came into the world. And 21 is clear that the only not guilty verdict is on reserve for those who came to the light when it entered. Okay? mimi. Okay? Don't play with me. That's Swahili. Okay? So here we go. The Hebrews in chapter 10, 26 said, for if, we, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for, for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. So you saved in 98 who still proclaim heaven is waiting for you. Be sure. Be sure that your sin is a daily fight consistently. Be sure that you came to the light that entered the world. Be sure that you're not manipulating your mercy, prolonging your teshuva, your turnaround, and your mikvahs, your, in uh, the Holy Spirit, your baptisms by living water and moving water, not the sitting water of a tub and a pool like Constantine. Don't be delaying it. The baptism is a way to wash your sins, not dab your forehead or trickle your head or or rinse them in a dunk, okay, into the water and then leave them sitting in the water to recollect at the bottom of your heels as you're getting out of the water. You need to be sure that you're following the example of Yehoshua and not the Christian pioneer Constantine as the way to conduct your faith, all right? Because Constantine's laws are not consistent with the most high God of all creation, all right? It was his counsel, all right, that was blatantly out of order. We basically let a wolf into the pastures and now we name ourselves after that wolf proudly. You got to listen to this chess move. It, it, it says in the Codex Justinianus, all right, library, it says in 321 AD, Constantine decreed, on the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in the cities rest and let all workshops be closed, all right? On the venerable day of the sun, excuse me, Exodus 20, 8-11, Moses brought the tablets to the people and it read, Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy maid, manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that within thy gates, for six days The Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, for the only reason of the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. This is what God said. So how can a man, one man, decide to try to even change that to the venerable day of the sun, as he calls it? This is the law that Moses delivered. And you know what the Hebrews says about those who ignore the laws that Moses delivered. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28, that he, that despised Moses' law, died without mercy. All right? Without that salvational grace that you're claiming. Okay? And they died without mercy under two or three witnesses. But it goes on to say... That those were the ones condemned without a light that had entered the world for us to love or hate and be and then be uh, uh uh accused of loving or hating. Yahushua had not come for them. So it continues in 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 twenty nine and it reads, "How much sorer punishment? Suppose ye, suppose y'all, shall he be uh thought worthy who have trodden under the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the capital spirit of grace, right? So, how much worse do you think the person's death should be for knowing better, forming the agreement under the blood of Yehoshua, only to continue to sin? And we know that that's what they're talking about because this verse comes after the verse about sinning willfully and receiving knowledge of the truth after knowing better. So that's what's happening right now. A lot of these Christians be knowing better and they simply don't care. They justify this Sunday worship by reinterpreting the word. They say it says, and upon the first of the week, when the disciples came to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight that's acts 20 verse 7 and a lot of christians use that to justify the fact that the disciples was gathering on sunday but remember it's in the subtleties that the devil plays the devil is in the tiny details y'all y'all know why the, the the disciples were gathering on the first of the week because it was a work meeting All right, they were gearing up for their six days and the Sabbath, they were resting. But you wanna know where Paul was? Who's mentioned in that verse on the Sabbath? He was in the synagogue because predating this little cherry-picked verse that a lot of people wanna use to justify that Sunday worship for the disobedient Christians, comfort. I want you guys to know that Acts chapter 13 which is seven chapters before that one, verse 42 through 44 says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes or proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together, to hear the word of God. So the Bible is clear on which is the first day and which is the Sabbath day. Are you clear? God would not tell you to remember something if he did not know that it would be a challenge for us. He would not command it if he didn't expect spiritual wickedness in high places to challenge you with it. And that's what they do with every other commandment. So I'm not saying anything new, okay? But why would Constantine, a so-called follower of Yehoshua, who he calls Christ and therefore calls himself Christian, then attempt to make, as he called it, the venerable day of the sun, a new form of Sabbath? Venerable means an adjective, and and describes accorded a great deal of respect, especially of age, wisdom, and character. Venerable. I'll tell you why Constantine thought the day of the sun was a venerable day. It's because the day of the sun has his respect. And it had it much longer than the seventh day did. Okay? To him, it came first. His mama was a broke Greek woman named Helena. Okay? His daddy was the Caesar, Constantius. The Caesar is a Roman title for Roman rulers. He grew up with sun gods. His whole life, okay, whether it was Sol, the one that his father feared, or Helios, the one that his mother bowed to, it's what he knew. It's where his true loyalty lied the whole time. That's why he ain't baptized yet, okay? He who applied his Greek and Roman day of worship to the Hebrew foundation is the same one who translated the Greek or, or, or the, the Hebrew word for Yehoshua to the Greek word Jesus and therefore Christ and made it really, really popular. Even Yeshua is a Roman derivative of the Hebrew name Yehoshua. All right. But the popularity of Christianity was a political tag of spirit spirituality for Constantine's power, all right? He wasn't authentically in love with Yehoshua, okay? To be a Christian is to essentially be a follow, follower of the Greek translation of the Hebrew son of God, the translation of him by the Greeks, all right? Yehoshua, whom they call Christ, all right? That is what they do to celebrate their, that's, that's it's, <laughs> it's to celebrate their Roman holidays under these subtle nuances to our new King. I mean, to our true King rather. All right. It's to be part of the Christ mass every December 25th and to be part of Easter, which is established by his, his, um, his, uh, creed and Established by that Roman Catholic Church. It's to, you know what it is? It's to find yourself out of order. That's what it is, okay, with God. It's to be a part of the strategy to make conversions easier. From the softened character of Pontius Pilate, who could care less about sentencing Yehoshua to death, to the disdain we are made to examine Judas with, who is a Jew, conveniently, We are to be sick with Caiaphas, the leader of the Sanhedrin, who is an upkeeper of Jewish law, who is also out of order with God during the time of Yehoshua. And this Jew draws the distinction between Judaism and Jews and the actual chosen people of God who are Hebrews. So I am not your Jew, by the way, either. All right. Why did this happen? It's so that we could see God God is allowing us to keep these texts so that we can see how the church and the state would marry and breed a counterfeit of our faith and call it Christianity, which is real close in translation, but not quite the same cookie, right? And we need to see how the spiritual laws found their way into judicial systems that we have to that we've had to kowtow to or that we think we have to kowtow to and we have to do it seamlessly right we need to pay attention to how the political wickedness in high places is able to covertly get us to be comfortable with sinning against God in an effort to be good citizens right who was Constantine to try to convert the Sabbath of God to a Roman preference? Let me just explain something uh, to you guys real quick. I'm gonna I'm going on about this because the truth is gonna set us all free. The Roman Catholic Church is under the thumb of Caesar, named the Pope. Right? Caesar means ruler, the ruler of the Roman Catholic Church is the Pope. The Pope is called the Vicar of God and therefore to be considered the presence of God on earth by those who follow him and believe that form of Christianity based and formed in the Roman Catholic Church. Do you guys hear me? Despite the fact that the Hebrews are clear that God is spirit and unless we are spirit too, we will not see his kingdom. These Romans don't get that. Right. They have masses where. The man acts like God for the duration of the mass. They call it in persona Christi or in person of Christ. The seat of the Pope is called the vicar of Christ, which means, vicar means representative. Now, vic- vicarius filii Dei is the representative of the son of God. That's how that translates. And it translates also into the Roman numerals of 666, all right? This name came about, so far with my light research on it, in uh, the Donation of Constantine, which is considered to be a forged document. And you know what? Forgery, forged documents, um, 666 names, and things that have nothing to do with my God. It just all is too messy for me. Why would you guys want to be a part of that, right? Um, You got to keep it clean. You got to just keep it clean. Uh, Keep your spirit clean. So I see the, what I do know is that I see the Roman influence on our government. The U.S. Capitol building looks just like the Vatican's baby, okay? The Roman columns on every municipal building in the U.S. I mean, it's clear that the politics of this land is sleeping with this particular church and that it has been ever since Yehoshua walked the earth. If you go to Matthew and you read what happens when Judaism and Roman rule collide, besides the crucifixion, you know, you can maybe understand that you being called does not make you chosen. Let's read, um, and then I'm going to go, okay? So Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 15 through 22 says, Then went the Pharisees, those are the Jews, and took counsel how they might entangle him, meaning Yehoshua, in talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, The people of Herod saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. They're patronizing him. They say, Neither carest thou for any, for thou regardest not the person of men. Right? We already know Yehoshua is not a respecter of persons. All right? He's never impressed. By a pope or ruler or or a Roman emperor or a member of the Sanhedrin. He's not impressed by any of those priests, any of those ministers, any of the pastors. Are you? Are you? 17 continues and it says, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? What do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Because they wanted to know if he was going to go against Caesar the law of the land. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Remember, ye is y'all. Why y'all tempting me? Y'all are some hypocrites. Then he says, Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Who's this image and subscription? Or a superscription. Who's on the penny is what he's asking. And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then say if he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. It's clear. And they left them alone after that. And basically, what he's saying is, the two cannot mingle, they are not allowed to mix. So stop mixing them. Caesar has no authority in God's kingdom. He therefore cannot change the Sabbath day. He cannot change the Hebrews to Christians. He cannot blame the Jews for the death of who they call Jesus to make it easier for the Romans to become Christians. And they cannot make the Jews the equivalent of the Hebrews who are chosen, even if they started off that way before they got religious. And, and got involved in the legal system of the land. My God does not care about Constantine's law. He does not care about uh, Jewish law. He doesn't care about U.S. law or anything of this world really, except the people in it who might take up his, the blood of his son to be saved. That's really all he care about, he cares about. So I repeat to you, I am not your Jew and I am not your Christian. For in this time of pestilence, I remember what God said to Solomon in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. He said, if my people which are called by my name. And I know that the Jehovah's Witnesses think they knocked this one out of the park using God's name as their own. But I'd be careful not to be too sure. And God is simply speaking in this time and in this verse about his third commandment, which is don't take his name in vain. Uh, because in Deuteronomy 7, Moses is talking to the Hebrews and he's telling them that there are seven nations greater and mightier than them that dwelled in the land that God promises them. But those nations have been casted out. And he added to uh, to them that he admonishes those Hebrews not to make covenants with the other lands. And that includes Rome and whatever laws they come up with for your Sunday worship. Because that is going to birth children who will also turn away from God and serve other gods. That's what it's saying in Hebrews. And it says we are instead to cut down their altars and burn their grave images, graven images, all right? And it also says in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 7, 6, for thou, y'all, for you uh, and holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that upon the face of the earth. All right. So the Hebrews are unmistakably in the Bible chosen. As long as they keep the Ten Commandments, that's forsaking all other laws. As long as they do that, those are his people. Now, are you his people is your question. And if you are then you are up to bat this season. This is your time to get to work. You know why? Because the word says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, just stop doing what those traditional Christians are doing. Stop worshiping on the Sabbath. Stop your Christmas. Stop your Easter. All of those things are, are paganized for the convenience of, of the lie Constantine put his rule under to manipulate the power of God for his own will, to make the Romans come on over and enjoy the lap of luxury in our fruits of our labor that God has for us. They've claimed to be part of our nation and they're not. Turn away from them, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That, tush, that teshuva culture is real. You must make the turn. You have got to be a lover of the light if you are going to stand trial and receive a not guilty verdict. If you love God, keep his commandments. Don't be a Christian. Don't be a Jew. Be a Hebrew. Be a Yehoshuaan follower of the son of God. Not a follower of Constantine, okay? Not a Jewish citizen of Caesar, okay? Bending to all of the the laws that come up from these Roman-influenced governments, including the one we're in now, okay? You follow the Ten Commandments and only the Ten Commandments, all right? You haven't taken his name if you have taken the name of Christ. That's not his name. Okay, that's not the people he called. He did not call that Greek translation over us. Now, how much I ask you, how much does pleasing the Lord mean to you over your original definition that you gave yourself for who you are to please him? in a world that's meant to lead you astray, in a word that was set up to lead you astray, how important is it to you to have the peace of this world over the peace that passes all understanding? I'm calling you on your claim to be called out of darkness. I'm calling you on it because it's from love, because I love the light, that came to this world, not to condemn us, but to save us. I do it because I want the way, the truth, and the life to become our greatest desire. I do it because I want you to be clear. I want you to be sure. I want you to take your power back. I want you to come out of her. I do it because what's righteous trumps whatever this world says is right. I do it because I love you, but because God loves you more, you must remember the Sabbath. Forsake the day of the sun. That's all I got for you. That's what I found in the Bible this week. I'll see you next time. The Book of Joe is but a portion of a family ministry called the Black Love Smiths. To follow the Black Love Smiths, you can do so at Black Love Smiths on Instagram or Facebook. To get into contact with Joe, please email bookofjoe at gmail.com. God bless you.